0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast, uh, Crisis Management Edition. So in this episode of the show, I've brought on a repeat guest for the first time. His name is Mr. Bob Bettel. Bob was um, a prior uh, guest I had on the show a few years ago, I think in 2017. And it turned out that his episode was one of my most downloaded, if not the most downloaded, Uh, episode I have recorded to date, and we spoke then about his new book, Strengthening Your Business. Bob is an entrepreneur and a successful businessman who has turned around 77 businesses over the past 50 years. His book, was act, the foreword, was written by uh, T. Boone Pickens, which is um, the, the late oil tycoon and billionaire who passed away uh, a year or so ago, I believe. And I brought Bob on today because he's helped so many businesses in several different industries, from restaurant chains to engineering companies, and he saved tens of thousands of jobs just by using wise counsel and strategic wisdom to help businesses come out of um, difficult situations. So I said, who better to talk to than somebody who's done this over 77 times across 50 years to come and teach us a little bit about how to strengthen our businesses and how to also create systems and processes that when we all get over this lockdown and things start getting back to work, we can start putting things in place to help our businesses thrive and succeed going in the future. So with that said, Mr. Bob Bethel, welcome once again to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur
1: Podcast.
0: Gee, it's good to be
1: back with you again. And, and since our last time, we have gone from 77, we're now up to 80 turnaround. Oh my goodness, 80 Yeah, yeah. Wow. fantastic. That's, that's what you get when you uh, get old. <laughs> or as one of my Grandchildren rudely ask, did, did you live through Corona 1 through 18? <laughs> so,
0: so you know you're old. <laughs> Corona 1 through 18. Well, it sure feels like we've been living through all that in the past yes. one month alone. So, um, given you've done 80 turnarounds, fantastic. I want you to kind of like just give people that have not listened to the first. Um, interview we did a little bit about your background and your bio and how you got into the turnaround business, and then we can go into what you would do as a consultant if people were to bring you in to help them save their business. Okay, you know, there's an old joke
1: that uh, businessmen have four stages as they become successful. Uh, mm. Number number one, drunken businessmen. Number one, they get good looking. Number two, they get wealthy. Number three, they get brilliant. And number four, they get bulletproof. Mm. And I have come to realize there is a stage five to drunken businessmen, and that's radiation proof.
2: Mm.
1: And when I got out of college, I started a a business. uh, And for a couple of years, I made great money, uh, thought I had all the answers. We got hit by a recession, and I lost everything I had. Uh, had to sell my home, my business, to pay off the banks. I didn't declare bankruptcy. Uh, I got out from under it. and Thank goodness, one of my parents' best friends was one of the wealthiest men in, in Tennessee at the time. Mm -hmm. And he got in touch with me, and he said, I've been watching you, and I think you've learned some very valuable lessons. Mm -hmm. He said, I've retired from my businesses, and at that time, he owned 23 businesses. And he said, uh, the people that are running them are not doing a good job. I'm not satisfied at all. I'll give you a third of those businesses to come in and make them profitable. And I did that. and. I got back in the good favor of the banks in the Southeast. uh, And I started getting calls after I had cleaned those businesses up and we had sold them off. I started getting calls from banks and mortgage companies that had uh, loans that they were getting ready to lose a lot of money if they closed them down Mm. and asked me, uh, if I would take on the debt and turn them around and I've now been doing that 55 years, uh, during that time, 80 businesses in 29 different Mm industries. And you know, she, 50% of all businesses go under most within the first four to five years. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is that just isn't necessary. And and as I studied the mistakes that I had made as a young man with my first business, uh, I didn't tell anyone I was in trouble. I didn't ask for any help. Uh, I didn't even tell my wife. That's how embarrassed I was by it. None of my employees knew that we were in the kind of shape that we were in. Mm-hmm. So, I decided that I was going to do everything different and I think it is so applicable to what we're going through today and and as I thought about visiting with you again I thought to myself you know I wrote the I wrote the book Strengthen Your Business to help small and medium-sized businesses with with what i have learned through my experience in so many industries and and i thought you know there is not a time in my business career that this book is as pertinent as it is today mm. because the fact of the matter is where i've spent 55 years going into distressed businesses there is a vast number of businesses across the entire world at this point that are suffering exactly the same kinds of things mm-hmm. and i talked to a number of national financial leaders in the banking mortgage banking business on on a weekly basis and i have i have never seen a time that no one has any answers
2: mm.
1: no one has any idea of what the recovery time of this will be i actually had the head of a very large mortgage company say to me just this week he said i think we will still be dealing with the aftermath of this 10 years down the road wow. in the mortgage business wow. so back to back to your question of how how have I been able to take eighty broke businesses and make all of them profitable? Uh, and and the first answer is I didn't. My team did. Mm-hmm. I, I'll take credit for five percent of the success, but the rest of it is the team. And so I guess the first thing I would say to any business owner, any. General manager of a business is your team is the most important asset that company has, mm-hmm. and what i what I found where in my first business, I had not given any information to the employees they they know knew nothing about the financial condition of the company
2: mm-hmm.
1: so in order to address that from a different perspective uh, I realized that number one, we had to have a plan and And when I say that my my first day after buying a company is to call all the employees together. Mm-hmm. We lock the doors, turn the phones off, and I tell them A to Z, everything I know about the condition of the company. Okay. That's number one. I also tell them during that meeting that all of this needs to stay inside the company. We don't need people out in the street talking about our financial condition. But I, I lay out at that time, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come up with a 90 day plan and their eyes kind of glaze over and it's like, oh dear God, Not one of those things. But I point out to them look, I'm talking about something like a football plan. And I tell them, I'm a pilot. We file a flight plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talk about a football game, they talk about their game plan. It's not a five inch thick Harvard business plan. It is a who is going to do what, to whom, when, and for how much. And therefore, everyone. Is is assigned a responsibility that that is theirs to achieve. Mm -hmm. And we have weekly meetings, and they're not set-down meetings, it's the entire company standing up asking, did we hit because when we do that ninety-day plan sheet, we break the ninety days into three months, then we break it into weeks. And we have weekly goals. Now, I want you to think about something. If you and I went to a basketball game today okay. and we walked in and we were a few minutes late, they were running up and down the court, and we asked someone there, Who's winning? And he says, They're not keeping score. Mm. Well, how much time's left? Well, they don't have a game clock. Mm. The fact of the matter is, every single business that I've taken over has been in that exact shape. Where are we?
2: We're working. Uh, Are
1: we hitting our goals? We don't have any goals. Mm. So, what we do is we lay that game plan out for what we're going to do for 90 days, break it into months, break it into weeks, and Then we track that. And what I mean by that is the first thing that I do is in those first meetings is how can we measure what's our goal? And Mm -hmm. that's X number of units of production, manufacturing. It's X number of dollars of revenue per day, whatever we need to measure. Mm -hmm. And typically we will end up with five, Boards, whiteboards, and we put them where every employee will see them every single day. So we don't have to have a meeting every day and talk about what we did or didn't do. It's there for everyone to see. Mm. And it is the biggest motivator of a team that I have ever witnessed. I, I still, after 55 years of doing it, I'm still shocked mm. by that because. You and I work at that company, and we walk by, and we know that our goal for the week is a thousand units. Mm-hmm. Well, someone in accounting every day at three o'clock in the afternoon marches out and posts what we did in the last 24 hours. So you and I look at the board, and it's Thursday, and We're supposed to be our daily goal then. If a thousand units is our weekly goal, then it's two hundred units a day. Thursday we walk by and we're at seven hundred units. We're behind. Nobody needs to tell us we're behind. There it is on the board. Mm -hmm. Okay. So suddenly we've got to kick it to a higher gear tomorrow, Friday, in order to hit those goals. So utilizing meetings setting goals in a 90-day plan. We don't need a five-year plan to talk mm-hmm. about mission statements and how we're going to save the world. We need facts that are understandable by the entire team. Mm. And by doing that and having discussions once a week, then we're keeping everyone on track. What did we do right this week? What did we do wrong what do we need to do to do better next week <clears throat> and by by doing that then we have and we call those boards dock boards daily operating control now today our companies are in a number of states and and we still own a lot of the companies that we have taken over over the years so I'm not physically on site. And Mm -hmm. and for years, I have done this. And at three o'clock every afternoon, one of our managers goes to those boards with his or her phone and takes a photograph of each of those boards and sends it to me. Mm. So I am within never more, never more than 24 hours of knowing precisely where we are and how we measure our business, but so does every team member. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and it works. It it really works because you have involved people. Mm -hmm. And each and every time I take one of these companies over, I, I never cease to be amazed at what an uplifting it is when you include your entire team. Now in in 55 years, I have one of the first things that I do is tell the team, look, we're not going to throw money at increasing revenue okay. because you don't know what the result of that's going to be. But here's what we need to do. and And it's not me, it's the team. I want you to look in each of your departments and see what we can do to do reduce expenses.
2: Okay.
1: And in all of these years across, and and these have not been mom and pop companies. There are a number of them that have had revenue of over $300 million a year. That team, not me, that team, has always, every single time, reduced expenses by at least 34%. Mm. Because they know, if, if, if you're the president of your company and you've got 200 people out there in 10 departments, you don't know what is absolutely necessary and what if you get rid of something that it won't jeopardize your company but the people down in the trenches they know mm. and when they see those kind of involvements and engagements and suddenly they're a part of it because we share all of the financial information we don't share salaries okay mm. we have a payroll number and that's it uh but everything else is on on the on the P&L every single month but they know way before stopping to think about this. Typically, January 1, now it's January 31, you're going to have your P&L pool. Well, by the time you get your bank statements and reconcile those and your CPA or whoever does your P&L work, you're very fortunate if you have your January P&L by the 10th of February a lot can happen in that 40 day span by having these tracking boards our daily operating control boards we know every day we don't have to wait till february 10th to find out how we did in january we know mm-hmm. and the whole team knows and that that to me is is one of the biggest things is getting that team involved And especially in times like this, there have been times in engineering companies that I have owned and and I've owned a number of them that we would hit a production lull. I I remember distinctly, I had a engineering company that worked in nuclear power plants all over the world. We were a primary subcontractor of Westinghouse nuclear Mm. and we hit a, we were, getting ready to go into France and do work on nuclear power plants in France. And we had about a six-week gap in our production facility that we weren't going to have any work. I went to the manager of that department and said, get your team, about 25 or 30 of the most certified, nuclear certified welders. and a massive amount of training goes into that, so I, I couldn't lose them. But I said to him, talk to your team and see what recommendations you can get. And within 24 hours, they came back with a month worth of business, good, high-tech uh, welding that that needed really – good certified welders they came back with enough high paying work that we actually ended up making that a separate uh profit center in the business okay Mm. now uh my alternative was to write everyone's check until they went back to work okay Mm -hmm. but but again involving the team and so right now we're we're looking at at businesses all over the world Close. uh that want to hold on to their good employees, get them together and put it to them all right What can we do to not only keep the company together but make profit mm. so because
0: you you'll get answers. So basically yeah. get the team to brainstorm and figure out ways to come up with ideas. So like take, for example, now that majority of things may go virtual, you have to say, hey, guys, how do we talk to people online? How do we sell more stuff online? How do we do this? How do we do that? How do we do it in such a way that, okay, if, take for example, we're a mechanic shop or a car garage, you know what the person drops the keys off or we go pick it up and we do the work and take it back and invoice the person. So that way there's social distancing. But just get people on your team that want to work because they know that it's easier to stay with the job you have than to go look for another job. And then everybody just be involved in the process of coming up with ideas to save the company. Exactly. And just to
1: show you how right you are, <clears throat> I was talking to the head of a, one of the country's largest Mortgage service company. Mm. They're the ones you pay your mortgage to, and then they pay your tax and your insurance and all of your escrows. And she, she, that, that company is in Dallas. Um, they have between five and 600 employees. And she is a very energetic young lady. And I was joking with her because they are all that entire building is working from home. Mm -hmm. And I said, is it driving you crazy? And she said, just the opposite. She said, when this is over, a lot of goods going to come out of it. She said, you wouldn't believe how much our lease for that building is on Mm -hmm. an annual basis. She said, working from home, I typically drive an hour to and from work. I'm now in my home office when I would be driving. I have no interruptions. I set my own schedule and she said, we are shocked they have now been in all all of their home offices now for three weeks. She said, our efficiency is unbelievably higher. Well, guess what? I've got a feeling that that, that, huge office may be reduced to a very small office Mm -hmm. with a lot of employees at home. And think what the employees, they're they're not spending two hours a day Mm -hmm. uh, driving. And as she said, everyone's tickled to death because it gives them more time with their children. There's two hours saved, number one. Number two, they can reduce their office space. Number three, all of the getting dressed and talking friends. see how was, the, what did you think about the ball game last night? That's gone. gone. Okay? So there, there is a lot of good in pulling your team together, brainstorming these things and then seeing how you keep your business open and making money.
2: Mm.
1: Another thing that we found along the way is, and, and Paul Flager, who was the founder and chairman of the board of Security Pacific in Seattle, became a friend and uh matter of fact, sold me a number of his of his businesses. And we were talking one day, he was in Nashville, and I said something and and his company was nationwide, had many thousands of employees. And I said, uh, you have some very talented employees. Uh, I can't imagine what your payroll is. And he said, it, it hasn't changed from the first day. I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. He said, we don't give raises. Wow. He said, we have categories that this level pays X dollars and the next level pays Y dollars and so on. He said, we give bonuses. We give bonuses because bonuses don't jeopardize your future. And, and he laid it out very clearly. He said, you have a great employee and you give him a 10%, him or her, the 10% raise this year, 10% raise next year, he's doing a great job, another 10%, you pretty soon have priced him out of his market. Mm. And it's cheaper to go in the street and hire someone else and start that process over. Mm. But what we do, and that, that very... Day. I put that in play in all of our companies and we have some companies that we pay an annual base, a bonus, and we have some companies we pay a quarterly bonus. And it's based totally on performance of the company, period. Mm. And therefore... When we start January 1 of 2021, our payroll is going to be exactly the same that it was in January of 2020. And that's important today because when you are sharing the rewards by giving bonuses, you're keeping your employees engaged. And I guarantee you that every one of our companies for 55 years because I want them to make a lot of money based on the profit performance of the company.
0: Okay. So they're incentivized to actually put in their best because they know the more they do for the company, the more money comes in for the company, the more they get to take home as, you know, bonus. Exactly. Money. Exactly. Oh,
2: okay.
0: exactly, And we don't jeopardize our future.
1: And And the interesting thing is I have asked, companies that were giving, when I bought them, uh, a, a large annual pay increase. Did you increase your prices of your products? Uh, no. Well, what are they doing? They're chopping their profit margin every year, lower and lower by mm. by these raises. And, and your raise is worthless if your company goes broke. Mm. But in those first m- m- meetings... I start, and, and I would say that my role in all these years has basically been a teacher and a coach about profit. Mm. And, you know, I've had these owners throw at me, well, I put my blood, sweat, and tears in the show me on your balance sheet where the blood, sweat, and tears. It doesn't count. Mm. It, it, it's your business. Uh, you should do everything you can to make that business profitable. Uh, and and by doing that, I, I preached as Boone Pickens and I got to be friends. I preached so much as we we worked together in the North Sea off the coast of Scotland uh, back in the seventies, and Boone and I would get together in the evening. We were he at that time uh, owned Mesa Petroleum, and and so. He and I were two of the only independents that were working in the North Sea, the the other companies, BP and Shell and the others, of course. But I continued to talk about having a plan. Mm. And when when Boone uh, wrote his first book, he started a chapter by saying that a fool with a plan can outsmart a genius without one. And I mm-hmm. said, you only came up with that phrase after you met me. <laughs> so, but, but it's true. If, if you don't have a plan, you know, it'd be no different if I said she, I'm coming to Toronto uh, in the morning and I'm going to, we're going on a trip mm-hmm. and I hung up the phone. Okay. And you're sitting there thinking, wait, he didn't tell me where we're going, how long we're going to be there, uh, what I should wear, what I should take, Mm. uh, what we're going to do, okay? So you have no idea. And the fact of the matter is you cannot believe every single company I've taken over has been in that same position. They Mm. didn't know where the company was. They didn't know where the company was going. They didn't know what the goals were. There was no plan, okay? Okay. So how can you expect to get the best out of people mm-hmm. if if you have not made that a team and have been fair and honest and shared information with it? It just works, mm-hmm. and I don't care. Like like I say, I have since since the very first company that I took over and started doing the things that we've talked about, I have had no. Fear of taking over any company in any industry because mm-hmm. in order, you know, as John Kenneth Galbraith, the famous economist said, without the short run, there is no long run. And that, certain, that certainly applies. So the item number one has got to be profit. you, mm-hmm. you got to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're getting ready to go through a hard time and if you don't have your team engaged, if you don't have a plan, if you're not tracking that plan and you're not communicating with your people honestly, mm-hmm. totally honestly, then then it's going to be much harder for you because you're pulling all the weight yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Bob, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, for business owners, what they need to do to put in place. But um, I want to kind of address the elephant in the room before we get into other things, which is basically, um, systemically speaking, now we're in the middle of a recession or at the beginning yes. of a very big recession. Yes. And, you know, people might not be able to sell as much product as before. Businesses are not going to be able to meet some of their debt obligations. They're, go- they're definitely going to go belly up. So in a situation where the entire systemic effects of the market is bearing on your company and you really cannot survive because just the whole economy has gone bust. So how does someone think about, okay, if I want to be like you, for example, and say, okay, let me go in and put my capital because I have capital to deploy and save some businesses in. Tennessee, in Toronto, or wherever. What should I look out for? How should I start making these um, approaches? How should I start talking to people to tell them I can save their business if they're already in trouble and there's no way for them to have that lifeline, so they need somebody else to come in and say, "Hey, let's work together and get out of this uh, situation."
1: Well, first of all, if if it's your business, I have two recommendations. If if you have debt, go now right now and set down with your lender but but have first of all a plan Mm -hmm. that shows how you get from point A to point B but you've got a deficit that you need additional capital but you're not going to get additional capital by walking in and going hey I'm out of money Mm -hmm. I need some capital no They want you to come in and say, here's where I am. Here's my profit and loss. Here is our projection for the next six months. We're going to need capital. But at the end of that six months, here's what what my performance shows we should be able to do. That's Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, I would never have been successful in any of these turnarounds without my vendors
2: okay.
1: and vendors are it, it, stop and think about it of, of the entire list of expenses of any business, a massive amount of that money goes to so rent or mortgage payments yeah. or, and your vendors.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and what I have found is again, total honesty, a B, A good plan and C showing the reduction in expenses that you and your team have already come up with, going to those vendors, some of which you may have had as vendors for many years. I I have I have vendors in Tennessee that I've worked with for 40 years that are still in the same family. Mm. And if you have been a good client to that vendor most of your vendors every everyone's on net 30 days okay stop and think about it if if every one of your vendors would put you on 60 days net mm. you've bought an entire month of cash flow mm. see what but again you're not what what always amaze me and and I, I honestly did it in my first business because I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. If you wait and and you have an invoice that's due on April the 20th and you wait until the 21st and call your vendor and say, I can't pay this month. Uh, don't expect that person to help you. Mm. But, but instead, before you get the invoice, go see. Don't call. Go see if you can. Go see that vendor and say, look, I've been a customer for five years. We've we've paid as we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. I need help.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We've got a plan. Again, a plan. Here's our plan. But would you extend me, until we get this thing caught up, would you extend me 60-day billing? Mm-hmm. Uh, that has saved a number of companies that I've taken over because mm-hmm. people people are good people. People want to help, but you got to be fair. You got to be straight. You can't hide from them and not take their phone calls and then expect any mercy. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So suddenly your vendors become lenders. Okay. If you get to them, in time now in as far as you deciding that that okay, how do I go about uh, working with some of these companies um, if you have good relations with banks that's that's the starting point okay and and The reason banks call me is because they have a company that owes them $20 million and the bank has not done a good job of monitoring that company. So they suddenly find out when the payables get large or start having checks ricochet, uh, the bank suddenly realize, hey, they're in trouble. Uh, They've sold their inventory, but sales are going down, and they're having massive losses. And we haven't monitored that, so now they're in a horrible shape. They get the bank if if they foreclose and take that over, uh, they're going to lose a massive amount of money.
2: Mm.
1: So they would much rather hand that debt to me under very favorable terms. On the rear end uh i I get nothing free on the front end when I buy one of these businesses, but we cut a deal that at the point in time that that company becomes profitable for a period of six months a or b I refinance that debt they will give they will discount some of that debt
0: That's okay. that,
1: that makes it very advantageous
0: to me. Mm. Okay. So, you, so they create a the, win-win situation for both of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They don't have they don't have to take a 4 or 5 million dollar loss on that deal so they they're pleased and uh by the way the, the the reason after I had lost my first business that I got into this business and no one has ever asked me this. Why Why on earth would you want these big, big broke businesses? Mm. The fact of the matter is, I have ended up in possession and owned billions of dollars of assets without ever putting the first penny in mm. because the banks need that off their books, so where on earth? could you go and buy international engineering companies if in fact you use the simple principles that we've just talked about, and I go in depth in the book, great depth in the book. And also for just starting out and that do in fact have some capital, look around for companies that are struggling talk to business owners mm. because what you may be able to do you may be able to go in with your capital and they've got all these assets and become partners in that venture mm. by walking in the door with some money if you understand the mm-hmm. business
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and do the things that we you and I have just talked about now it, on- it,
0: not um, complicated yeah so on the other coin of that now so there are lots of small to medium-sized business owners all they know is the business they've been doing the trade they've been doing and somebody listening to this saying wow bob you just gave me a brilliant idea why don't i become like a consultant and go in and save these businesses and if i turn them around um the companies break me off uh a piece of the profit or a piece of equity and yeah. that yeah. stuff how would if you were to create, I know you don't have a training program or do you have a training program? I don't. (laughs) If you were to teach somebody listening to this saying, hey, I'm an entrepreneur, I would love to go in and turn around businesses and be getting pieces of equity and build up my network and my cash flow. Absolutely. Um, How, how would I learn from Bob Bethel? What are some of the books I need to read or do I need to get an MBA or do I need to just Read the book alone and get some other material. So what are some things that will help me um get that 50 year education that you get in practice? In Three words. Read three words, she. The book? Buy my book.
1: <laughs> 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 no. It, it the fact of the matter is uh, everything that I do is in fact in that book. Um mm. uh, and it, as i say it it takes it takes discipline uh it but again i'm go, i'm going to say it again <clears throat> i'll take 5% of the credit mm. it's it's the team mm. and it's the things we've talked about it's sharing financial information i've i've taken over manufacturing plants that there wasn't anyone in those plants Uh, that had more than a high school degree. And a lot of them didn't have a high school degree. And see, they were the most appreciative. And I don't have after, it really pisses me off when people call a meeting after work. Mm. Oh, so you're going to take my time for free uh, to have a meeting. Now, Mm. we have meetings during the work day and they stay on the clock. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you cannot believe when, when I say that, that what I am is a coach and a teacher Mm -hmm. by, by having meetings about accounting, by having meetings about finance with everybody. I'm talking about the janitor Mm -hmm.
2: because
1: I want him to understand how it is. We make profit
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and, and what's involved in that. Plus, Plus, all of a sudden, you start making money, and everybody wants a raise, okay? Mm -hmm. Hey, we're making a lot of money. If at the beginning of all of this, you don't set them down and say, okay, look, we've got this much debt. We're going to have to pay this much of that every month, and by the way, as we move down the road, we're going to hit some spots like we're going through right now, so we got to build up a cash reserve. So don't come into my office, start hooping and hollering about wanting more pay. We're going to pay bonuses based on you and everyone else in the company performance of making profit. And I'll tell you something else about that, She, as far as the bonuses. Your good employees will run a bad employee off because he or she is affecting their bonus. Mm-hmm by dragging ass. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He's over here working his tail off as is everyone in his department except one guy and he's loafing, he's BSing all the time. You're going to run him off Mm. because you want a big bonus. Mm. Okay. So it it becomes self-fulfilling when they realize that their performance is tied to what they're going to make.
0: So they will only want a players on the team to help them. Yes,
1: and and as, as you said, I came to realize over these years, this is not complicated. People do not teach profit. You can talk all day about sales. I, I one of my brothers for years. Uh, he he owned a, a number of companies and for years he would talk about his gross sales and I would always look at him and say, how's your net doing? Oh, it's fine. But he never would discuss it Mm -hmm. because he knew that his margins was low, but he beat his chest over how many millions of dollars in business he was doing. Mm -hmm. So what you want is you want that entire team and, and that is the key, the team to have a plan. And as we head towards the end of that 90-day plan, we create the next 90-day okay, plan. Bye. We don't worry about next year or two years down the road. We're going to operate profitably okay. every day. And we're going to do it by setting our goals, tracking our goals, monitoring that, uh, and keeping everyone up to date, which our boards do. So the 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 real answer to your question is the things that you and I have talked about both the first time and this time.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's it's not complicated. It's not rocket science. And I I think I certainly have proven to myself that it works in any industry. Regardless of how small or how large it just works mm. and and you know stop and think about this most i was I was very very fortunate uh that I went to work uh selling cars as a matter of fact. my dad was sales manager of one of the largest dealerships in national and I went to work selling cars because i was uh making a dollar and 25 cents an hour on the wash rack and i was watching these young salesmen <clears throat> make a lot of money selling cars mm-hmm. so uh, i asked him if if i could sell cars and he said no you had to be 21 to get a license well my best friend at that time was the son of tennessee's governor so i called the governor I told him, I'm, I'm making a dollar twenty-five. I, I was freshman in high school. I'm making $1. twenty-five an hour. and Some of these salesmen are making $100 every time they sell a car. Uh, and dad says, I can't sell cars because I don't have a license. He said, I'll call Commissioner O'Rear, go down and pick your license up. I walked back in dad's office and said, here's my license. Can mm-hmm. I work now? He said, go to work. Okay, mm-hmm. So I grew up inside a business and learning about its components. Mm-hmm. The, what I have found is, is this. Uh, a great engineer creates a, a product and decides to open a business.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He knows nothing about sales, marketing, personnel, accounting, Mm-hmm. uh, acquisition, uh, inventory control, none of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So where do you think you're going to find him in that company? He's going to be in the engineering mm-hmm. department and he's going to hate, he's going to hate going into the account. I don't understand it. Don't want to understand. It. You got to understand it. You're, you're the conductor of your orchestra and mm-hmm. you don't have to do it, but you've got to understand it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so many business schools talk about theory and ratios, mm-hmm. uh, but not to be ugly, but question. I, I got my MBA at Vanderbilt and Dean Richmond was brilliant in putting his faculty together because he required them to have worked in the private sector for 10 to 20 years. They had done it. Mm. You, go, you go to most colleges, universities, and graduate schools about business, and you ask that faculty, tell me where you've worked. Well, right here at this university. They've never run a, a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all theory, okay? So the thing that you have to teach, if if you own a company, you have to teach yourself. If, if you've never had an accounting course, buy two or three hours of, of a CPA to sit down and explain in layman's terms. They don't need to have memorized gap uh, accounting principles, but in layman's terms, have them explain that balance sheet and and how it works, mm-hmm. how it comes together. Have them explain the P and L and and what it means. Uh, have them explain depreciation, so you can teach it to your team. Okay, mm-hmm. so all of those departments know you you don't have to be able to do it yourself. As a matter of fact, there are very very few jobs. Uh, in all of the companies that I've taken over, that I can do. But I teach myself in each and every one of those businesses how it's done, how it's performed, how it should work, and how I can monitor it. And I I make them, I mean, we, we worked for Westinghouse Nuclear for seven years all over the world. Now, can you imagine me dealing with some of the biggest nuclear scientists in the world, me, a redneck from Tennessee, Mm. Uh, okay? But I would slow them down enough to explain it in my terms where I could understand it so that I could learn to monitor it. I didn't didn't need to perform the functions of dealing with a nuclear reactor, okay? Mm uh same thing in in the oil fields offshore we laid we laid three twenty inch pipelines from Algeria to Sicily and then up on Sicily and up the entire boot of italy uh into Yugoslavia. Now, I'm not an engineer, but I learned how to measure that work, how it should be done so Going into back to your original question of going into a business, you don't have to be able to do the work. If you're coming in and you come in and I'm in trouble and you say, Bob, I've got some money I'd like to invest. Are you interested in a partner if I can put up some capital? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to be careful that I know what I'm doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can bring in, because that engineer is going to want to do engineering. If you go into a bakery, they don't want to hear about accounting and all of that. They want to bake. Mm -hmm. So what you've got to bring to the table is information that you can gather on a daily basis, monitor, track, help them come up with a plan, because the vast majority of companies you go into, small, medium uh, they don't have an operating plan and
0: why is why why is that the case though because you would think with everything that big companies do or even mid-sized companies do they should have like some way of creating a plan for like okay this is what we're creating this is what we're going to target this is what we're going to sell why is it that majority of them don't have this it seems like it's great great question. Nonsense. and I, I've
1: explored that through all of these years and the the, the things that That I see are are this number one they think they should be the one making the plan so if they make the plan and it doesn't work uh, then they're accountable Mm. okay so that's item one item two to make a plan and make it work you've got to explain where you are and they want to hide that information. Mm. You know, the the social question first question in every one of these companies that I've gone into, because the owner is still there, he knows the bank's getting ready to take the business away from him, or her. No, it's not her. I've never taken over a company run by a woman or owned by a woman. Why is that? Because they don't have men's ego.
2: Mm. That's
1: why. It's, it's that simple. It's back to the four stages of drunkenness. Mm. We're, we're smart. We're handsome. We're mm. rich. Uh, okay. But the first question I ask each and every time is, do your employees know the condition of the company? Every single time, the answer is, oh, God, no. Mm. If They did that all leave. Well, guess what? 55 business, 80 businesses, 55 years. When I hold those meetings and tell them the truth about their company, I've never had anybody leave, ever. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second thing that they don't share is because they're afraid that if the company starts making money, everybody will want to raise. So I'm going to, keep all of the financial information a secret. Mm. And, and it, really, it really is that simple.
0: Mm. Okay. Well, Bob, as we start to wind down the conversation, we've done a lot of discussions about how companies can raise uh, themselves and strengthen their businesses to succeed. But now you as an investor, what are you excited about in the markets
2: today?
1: I'm excited about the basics: food, housing.
2: Okay. Uh, they're
1: they're absolutely necessary, and I think coming out of this, whether that's farmland, uh, whether that's multifamily housing, which we have a lot of, uh, I, I think that commercial. Real estate is going to be hard hit. The example I gave you about my friend in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to take a good while for that to come back. but at a point from an investment standpoint, when that starts to bottom out, uh, there're going to be some good investments. I think that the growth that we have had since the Great Recession, uh, an awful lot of people I, I track very intensely, uh, commercial real estate and there have been uh a lot of very very high leveraged real estate projects mm-hmm. where someone has been able to build a project for uh 5 or 7 or 10% down uh that has Nashville 5 years ago uh there were not many apartments in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, that's rent. And I'm talking about the A grade, uh, that were much more than a thousand dollars a month mm. today. There are massive numbers of apartment complexes that start. And I mean, massive numbers that start their rent at 5,000 a month and go wow. up to 10,000 a month. Wow. Okay. Coming out of this. Uh, they're not going to be able to hold their occupancy nor are a lot of the commercial buildings because there are a lot of these commercial buildings, just like my friend in Dallas that suddenly realize, Hey, our lease comes up for renewal in three months. We may still be out of work. Let's just keep working from from home. And suddenly you've got these huge vacancies and you have these companies that look and go uh, We're not putting any more money in this that the vast majority of commercial real estate is non-recourse. So they hand the keys back and And wash their hands of it. Mm. And those lenders are going to be looking for someone to take that over Mm. at a much discounted price or simply to manage it Mm. and through sweat equity, take it over. Uh, So I think, I think, Focusing on the basics that we need every day. We need food every day. We sure need shelter every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that's that's something, certainly the real estate portion of it is something they can't ship us from China. Mm-hmm. We're not competing with uh, uh, low uh, labor costs. Mm. So, so that's what I see.
0: Now, but to your point, though, um, given what you just said with the lady working from home and the team's working from home, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't to me, I see that as, okay, people are going to look at this and say, hey, why do I need to be in downtown Nashville, downtown New York and work? Why don't I move all the way out to the country, get a nice big spot on land, make sure that uh, AT&T, whoever has high-speed internet. And then right. we we'll just work from home. We we'll pay lesser rent, lesser land prices, buy cheaper homes, and life is good. We can ride horses outside and all that stuff.
1: I think I think that's what's going to happen. Mm. I really do. I think you're dead on with that. sheep. <clears throat> suddenly you don't have the one hour or two hour drive. Mm. So I I, th- I think we I think we're going to see a massive amount of change come out of this as, as people learn to do things in a different fashion.
2: Mm.
1: You know, when, when my son joined the company uh, 11 years ago, and I really, I really didn't want him in the company because I had uh, run my parents' company. Mm. and they didn't mind at all calling me at 10 o'clock at night and asking me a business question or Sunday uh, right after church, walking out of church and going, hey, by the way, balance sheet, so on. And it it was a never-ending thing, so I really didn't want to put him in that position. But my wife said, uh, let him report to me.
2: Mm.
1: And you set ground rules uh, that eight to five, it's business time and family time. he's got a family issue, question, wants to talk family, that's good anytime. time. But business is eight to five, five days a week. And for 11 years, we have adhered to that, mm-hmm. and we have become a good team. But having had an office in downtown Nashville, even though I lived on a farm, outside of Nashville, having an office in downtown Nashville for 40 years. When he came on board and we went through a a several month uh, training uh, period, then we moved to the beach in South Alabama on an island, on Island. And she, I I would be in shorts and wasn't going to be Face timing anyone? Simply a telephone call that was scheduled for ten o'clock, and I'm in flip flops, shorts, and a t-shirt. I was I was so structured that I would go to the bedroom and put on dress pants and a dress shirt in order to have a telephone call. Okay, when my son the first issue or problem or whatever. It was everything I could do to keep from jumping in my vehicle and driving to wherever that problem was Mm. because I had spent my whole life hands on. And my wife said, you're going to have to do a better job of communicating. Mm. And, and today we run massive number of businesses together. We talk every day. We go, we go over anything we need to go over. We email each other number of times a day. I don't interfere in his operation, and it runs like clockwork. So exactly what you're saying, uh, it is in fact, and I, I've gotten very tickled at a lot of my friends who who now are working for home from home for the first time, of them going through the same kind of things. Yes. But once you get used to it, you're you're much more efficient. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm an early riser. I'm at my desk every morning at five o'clock. Mm. Well, guess what? That gives me a three-hour head start to when I was in Nashville and would get to my office uh, at eight o'clock. And I think we're going to see those things moving forward.
0: Now, now you mentioned you're an early riser. So what are some of the other habits that you've adopted and utilized over the last few years that have helped you succeed in your business?
1: I like to read about successful people and how they did it. Uh, Jack Welch, T. Boone Pickens, Warren Buffett. Uh, Winston Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt, and and something something interesting that that I also have seen. You, you hear lots of people talk about being good managers. Mm. Uh, you manage assets and liabilities. You lead people. Okay. You you don't hear people talk about. Churchill and Roosevelt uh, being great managers, mm. but yet they managed wars. Uh, they they managed negotiations. They managed lots of things. But you hear them talked about as leaders. You hear Warren Buffett, uh, Bill Gates, T Boone Pickens talked about as leaders. And I think that's I think that's something that that some people fail to realize you've got a company, you have 300 employees and uh, you're well-known and company's doing well and you're well-known in your community. Uh, You don't think a thing about walking out, getting in your car at three o'clock, going to the country club for a game of golf and, and uh, play gin rummy after the game of golf. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: What do your employees think about that? Are you really leading them or or do they look at you and go, wow, what a great example she is. He's, he's here early. He he stays, uh, he's engaged. He wants to help us. uh, He knocks hurdles down so we can do our job. Uh, That's the kind of people that, that employees want leading a company.
0: Mm. So that tells me that basically the key success factor in any organization is good leadership and for yes, it is. a business owner business manager or director or yes.
2: whatever
0: yes. you have you have to actually live out the principles of excellent high quality leadership if absolutely general, you absolutely I, th- I think that that
1: is the biggest thing and i see so many companies that the owner or the general manager thinks he's entitled
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: that uh, he can use a company needs a company plane so he and his wife can take trips together. Mm -hmm. So he justifies that by taking some of his employees to call on some customers and he goes, oh, yeah, we needed this Learjet. No, you need the Learjet, flight of veil vale to ski for a week while the rest of us are freezing our butt off working at your plant mm. so if If you don't have their respect and and as I say, it's the same thing about general management. No one is born with knowing general management. no one's born knowing business principles. So I have spent a lifetime, I still do it, I do a massive amount of reading uh, to make sure what that I'm read? I un- Sorry? What do you read?
0: Sorry to interrupt you.
1: <laughs> no, typically I I read a lot of trade journals trade journals. Uh, okay. there are a number of industries that I follow uh very regularly and I uh I read a lot of biographies about successful people because the vast majority of those will share uh, their failures and successes. So you learn how they got out of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that I say to my son on a very regular basis when he's having a personnel issue with someone is what Jack Welch, who led General Electric for many years, said, if if you want people to absorb what you're saying, repeat, 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 repeat. Mm. And it's very true. You These things that we've talked about today, you can't have one meeting and say, so, okay, A, B, C, D, and E, let's go do it. Mm. And that's that. No, you got to bring them back together and go, okay, Let's remember A, B, C. And you got to say that till it becomes a natural thought process for them Mm. and that they understand the why behind it. You can't go out and get anyone to respect you by me walking out and saying, she, I want you to pick that box up and take it over there. And I turn around and go back to my office. Okay. Now what? All right. you got to have a plan and a program and she's got to understand why we're doing that. What's what that? Because guess what? She may have a better way of doing it than I told him to do it. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if he understands the entire process of where we're going and how he fits into that plan, then he doesn't have to stand there and go, well, I guess I'll just stand here till they tell me what else to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So by, by, Following good leaders and learning their failures, how they got out of them, uh, how they made their money, you're you're suddenly going to find yourself much better equipped. You got to understand that whole damn company. You may be the greatest engineer on earth, but if you just stay in the engineering department, Mm-hmm. You're not going to know when those links in your chain, you know, I, I put in this book, I, I don't know if you can see it, but I put a gold chain
2: yeah.
1: right there because it doesn't matter what department it is. When one of those links break, your whole chain is worthless. mm so, you, as the owner, you as the general manager, you as the leader of your company, have got to understand what goes on with each of those links, so you can help
0: well, Bob, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the past one hour or so. I know we our time is really far spent um but before I let you go, um tell us a little bit about where people can find you, connect with you after listening to this interview, if they want to learn more about you, or even if they want to say, hey, can we get on a consulting session with you and see how you can help us think through our problems. Absolutely. Help some of our problems in our business. My
1: website is in my book. Uh, it's available at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is Robert. Thomas Bethel, uh, and you can send me emails through that uh, matter. Matter of fact, since the book came out, every one of the companies that I have gone into has come by someone
0: contacting
1: me on my website.
0: Wait, hold on. So basically, so the book has actually generated leads for you to, yeah. Oh, yeah oh, no, yeah.
2: Makes okay. yeah
0: yeah and and by the way
1: uh there have been uh countless um uh, and and i love doing it because i never get bored with what i do shay mm-hmm. because it's it's always different but yeah. there have been a number of times uh over the period of time since the book came out where someone would email and ask could i call and ask you a question and uh I have uh, made new friends. Uh, s- some of them still call me from time to time uh, mm-hmm. to ask questions, and I love doing that. So, uh, yeah, buy the book, send me an email, uh, and any way I can help. Uh, there's, there is there uh, is a family uh, that owns several restaurants uh, in Nashville, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact who uh, bought my book, uh, heard a web, uh, heard podcast. bought my book and contacted me. And uh, her husband has cancer. Uh, they're going through some very, very rough times and we've been able to work together and uh, help that it didn't cost her a penny mm. uh, because I, as I say, I love doing what I do and it, I, I realized my first company didn't have to fail, mm-hmm. and fifty percent of all business it just shouldn't fail because yeah. it doesn't have to. Really doesn't. Awesome. I always enjoy talking to you. I hope oh. you'll have me back
0: again. Oh, I definitely. I think I definitely will. I think we should do. Um, hello. Yeah. Oh, I think we should do even something bigger than this after after we're done. I'll publish this maybe in two weeks or so once it's edited, okay. but. Um. After the conversation, I I don't know, maybe you'd want to think about it or so, but I'm thinking if we could get like maybe you and a few other CEOs that um, you know that do different things, maybe in the same space or in different space, and we want to do like a, maybe a one-day or two-day virtual conference kind of, sort of yeah. like have them speak for like 20 minutes. A seminar. About, yeah, a seminar. Yeah, seminar, exactly. Yeah, so just have yeah. like experts that you know, like, and trust. That'd we'll be great. Together. Yeah. Put it online so that, that way small businesses that are going through problems, they can hear about your expertise and turn around, hear Perfect. about other people's expertise. We just put it together. That would make We're
1: a lot of sense. I bet yeah. you'd get a great audience for that. Yeah. Chief.
0: yeah. No, I, I think, I think it will definitely work. So I'd like that. Okay. Thanks again. Oh, my pleasure, Bob. Have a great Thanks. weekend with your family, and I'll talk to you soon.
2: Very good. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye.